asked this question to the bridge staff last week. When's the last time you admitted you were wrong and apologized? Can you think back to that hmm. last time? And does that last apology line up with the frequency in which you sin? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, I'm wrong a lot. Yeah. And uh, I sin a lot. It's whether or not we verbalize that That's right. to the people that we've been wrong to. Well, what's so interesting is here in Leviticus 5, we see God calls his people to quickly admit and verbalize when they have messed up and make things right. Immediately, yep. You're listening to Between the Lines. I'm Scott. I'm Junior. And uh, I'll get started in verse 1. We've got uh, 19, verses. 19 verses. So, okay, here we go. If you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify, and you will be punished for your sin. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. So those who say, ah, it's, I'm going to stay out of it. This is not my lane. I'm not to be involved in this. Wait a minute. We are stewards of information. Anything that we know or we have seen, we have a responsibility to being faithful with whatever yeah. With if God put us in that position, then we are in that position. Now, there's some tension with that, though, Dad, because there are times where it's like, don't stick your nose in that. You had nothing to, you weren't part of that story, right? Well, this right? is to refuse to testify. Okay. So we're talking about an official capacity. Okay, I see. Yeah. So verse, because then, you know, you have, you have the opportunity to do good and you're not doing it. You have the opportunity to pr- bring about justice, but you're getting in the way of justice by your silence. All right, so verse 2, or suppose you knowingly touch something that is ceremonial unclean, such as the carcass of an unclean animal. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. This is true whether it is a wild animal or a domestic animal or an animal that scurries along the ground. There's a lot of stuff about clean and unclean in the Old Testament. There was this constant reminder to the Israelites that it was a way for them to be able to understand the holiness of God and the necessity for their purity that would be produced through the Messiah who eventually was to come. But in the meantime, there's this constant reminder of there are some things that are impure and unclean that if they were to be defiled by whatever is unclean, then they needed it cleansed. Well, and it is kind of cool, though, too, Dad, because science has later taught us that a lot of what God commands here, even in Leviticus as we right. read through this, was later found out that there there was a lot of um, Practical benefits, yeah. Well, and not just that, but even health benefits that sure. people could get sick and they didn't know mm-hmm. why they were getting sick and it was because they were eating what God had commanded them not to eat. Right. So verse three, or suppose you unknowingly touch something that makes a person unclean. When you realize what you've done, you must admit your guilt. So even if this is unknowingly, but when you realize it, man, get it fixed right away. Or suppose you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether its purpose is for good or bad. When you realize it's foolishness, you must admit your guilt. When you become aware of your guilt in any of these ways, you must confess your sin. Then you must bring to the Lord as the penalty for your sin a female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. This is a sin offering with which the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord. But if you cannot help, uh, if you cannot afford to bring a sheep, you may bring to the Lord two turtle doves or two young pigeons as the penalty for your sin. So that was the uh, the people in poverty. That was a way for them to not have to. Uh, spend so much money, you know, which a sheep would cost quite a bit more for them. And it also helps us understand that Mary and Joseph yes. were in poverty. Because that's what they did. Yes. You must bring them to the priest who will present the first bird as the sin offering. He will wring its neck, but without severing its head from the body. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering against the sides of the altar, and the rest of the blood will be drained out of, uh, uh, drained out at the base of the altar. This is an offering for sin. 
You want to pick it up from there, Junior? The priest will then prepare the second bird as a burnt offering following all the procedures that have been prescribed. Though this process, the priest through this process, the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord, and you'll be forgiven. If you cannot afford to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, you may bring two quarts of choice flour for your sin offering. Since it is an offering for sin, you must not moisten it with an olive oil or put any frankincense on it. Take the flour to the priest, who will scoop out a handful as a representative portion. He will burn it on the altar on top of the special gifts presented to the Lord as an offering for sin. Through this process, the priest will purify those who are guilty of any of these sins, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. The rest of the flour will belong to the priest, just as with the grain offering. And you know what stands out to me with all of this, and it may go over our heads because these are practices that we no longer engage in, that Jesus as the Messiah fulfilled the necessity for the sin offering. He was the sin offering. But it also helps us to understand that to God's people in the Old Testament, it should be to us as well, that sin is a very real problem, and it's not something to ever be looked over, ignored, or swept under the rug. Here he said, I want you to take something that's going to signify that, that sin that you committed and to sacrifice it in order for you to be reminded of the seriousness yeah. of a rebellion against God. And this is a huge, healthy, special, uh, spiritual reminder, because how often do we go about our days just thinking the biggest issue in my days are my boss, or it's my spouse, or you know, it's my coworkers. God would say, no, your biggest issue is your sin. Mm-hmm. And for the nation of Israel, this is what they're just constantly reminded of. My biggest issue is my sin. And when you have to make all these offerings, it's a crazy yeah. uh, reminder. My problem is me. Yep. Then the Lord, verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, if one of you commits a sin by unintentionally defiling the Lord's sacred property, you must bring a guilt offering to the Lord. The offering must be your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one or equal value with silver as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. And I think that what that's referring to is the mistreatment in some way of the tabernacle, the worship place of God that was set aside as being sacred. Okay. You must make restitution for the sacred property you have harmed by paying for the loss, plus an additional 20%. When you give the payment to the priest, he will purify you with the ram, sacrifices a guilt offering, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. Suppose you sin by violating one of the Lord's commands. Even if you are aware of what you have done, you are guilt unaware, unaware of what yeah. you have done. You are guilty, and you will be punished for your sin. For a guilt offering, you must bring to the priest your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one of equal value. Through this process, the priest will purify you from the unintentional sin, making you right with the Lord, and you will be forgiven. This is a guilt offering, for you have been guilty of an offense against the Lord. Which that's an interesting section there talking about unintentional sin. And I will oftentimes hear people say something like, well, I didn't mean to do this. And and my question, my follow-up question will be, when we're talking counseling, it will be, but did you mean not to? I mean, did you intentionally avoid this? It was so often we give ourselves a pass by saying, yeah, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't trying to hurt them, but were you trying to be good to them? Were you trying to not hurt them? Were you trying to do the opposite of this? So we can be guilty of sinning against God, even though we claim that it was unintentional. Hmm. And it's still a serious thing. It is. Well, I mean, and that's what we see here in Leviticus chapter five is sin is serious. It's sin kills. And as a people, as God's people, we need to be people who are quick to admit when there is sin in our lives, quick to confess, quick to apologize. This is what God asks for us. So we're in the middle of reading through Psalms in our poetic readings. We always we always do a chapter of the Bible 
we spend more time in the New Testament than the Old Testament when we do this, but then we also take a poetic book. Usually we're in Proverbs, but right now we're in Psalms. And so we're in Psalm 53 and 54 is the reading that you have in in your Bibles today, and, and I'd encourage you to read both of those. But let me just look at uh, the Psalm 53, 1 is a fairly well-known psalm, uh, verse. It says, only fools say in their heart, there is no God. Now, actually, I, I'm not really crazy the way the New Living Translation puts this. I don't think it's true to the Hebrew because in the Hebrew, it simply says, no God. Fool says in his heart, no God. And I don't know that it means that there is no God because I doubt that there were any ancient people that doubted the existence of God. They all believed in some kind of a God. I think it's more of a rebellion against God, that they're saying no to God more so than there is no God. Anyway, because you say no to God, they are corrupt and their actions are evil. No one does good. And then down to, jump down to verse 3, it says, but no, all have turned away from God. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Now, that's quoted by Paul in Romans, and he says that in our nature, we, we don't have the ability to choose what is good without God working in us. So without his Holy Spirit causing us to want and to desire what is good. That's not part of our human nature. We need him even to know what is good in order to do what is good. Yeah, so good. All right, well, today, Dad, is actually your national day. So oh, no. I just want to wish you a yeah. happy day. Oh, great. I, I can imagine what this is going to be. It's it's curmudgeon's day. <laughs> I don't even... What is that? What's a curmudgeon? <laughs> That's a grumpy it's person. A, oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is what you are not. But uh, it is kind of funny. No. It says, wave at the fussed up cashier. You don't think I'm grumpy now. <laughs> now you're going to get grumpy. <laughs> That's right. It says, call your grumpy old grandpa, wave at the fussed up cashier. For me, it'd be like going to the post office. Or DMV and just being nice to some of those workers. Any state employee. Oh, yeah. I apologize to you state employees yeah. out there, but come on. Not any, most. I mean, <laughs> yeah, most. It definitely yeah. is most state employees are pretty difficult to deal with. That's so. right. I will say this, though. You know, when I walk with my my girls, they're little now, so they, they won't have this power, I'm sure, when they get older. I pray they do. But there are times where I'll see just somebody grumpy, and my, my girls will somehow interact with them. It'll change their day. They'll get yeah. a little smile on their face. And so do that with somebody today. Even somebody who's like, man, I'm going to stay out of their way. Just be a blessing to them. Right. Be encouraging. It does the world of good. That's right. All right. Well, happy curmudgeons day. (laughs) And we will see you tomorrow.